Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Well, good morning, church family. (laughs) My name is Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and I welcome you to worship this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to take them out and get them open because today we are going to be continuing our series. We only have three more weeks in this series before we start our study of the book of Romans and the New Testament. But today we're going to be continuing our series, Rhythms of Grace, Growing Spiritual Habits. Thank you guys for praying for our mission teams this week as you're turning uh, your Bibles open. Uh, We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, But as you turn, I just want to say thanks again for praying for our mission teams. We've got a team right now in Africa, uh, in West Africa and the Ivory Coast. And we have another team, or part of a team, uh, in Serbia. Leanne Enman and I will actually be leaving this afternoon to join the team uh, over there for the week of ministry to families who have been affected by pediatric cancer in a camp that we run in partnership with Who Bible School called Camp Hope. So I just want to encourage you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. And uh, please just continue to pray this week. We continue this morning our series, Rhythms of Grace, and in this series, we're talking about spiritual habits, all right? By now, you guys should know the definition of spiritual habits. What are they? What have we been, oh my goodness, what I've been saying over and over and over again? Spiritual habits, y'all read it with me. Position us to experience God's grace. Spiritual habits position us to experience God's grace. We've been looking at these practical things that God calls us into. We know God's grace in Jesus Christ, so we're not talking here about things that we do to earn salvation. Salvation is not anything that we could earn. It's only something that God can give, and he has chosen to give it in his son, Jesus Christ. For all who turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus, God gives grace. This is a gift. It's not anything that we do that we should boast in. In Ephesians 2 says, it is a gift of God. So when we're talking about spiritual habits and this grace today, we're not talking about saving grace. What we're talking about is sanctifying grace. We're talking about grace, extra grace that God gives. I want to know, do you want to grow in relationship with God? Do you want to experience Him? Do you want to understand more of Him? And in your life, in real ways, do you want to know more and more of His grace? Friends, we have just begun to know of the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this this whole series, we've been begging you as your pastors, pay attention to these wonderful opportunities for us to take on some new habits of life that God invites us into. And in these habits, understand that just like Zacchaeus got up in the tree when he heard Jesus was coming by his way, he positioned himself to be near to Jesus In the same way, we can position ourselves to be nearer to Jesus. Spiritual habits, y'all say it with me, position us to experience God's grace. Acts 2.42, where you turn in your Bible today, a simple verse that we've been using to anchor this series, it says, as the Spirit of God was poured out on the church and they were formed together in unity around their faith and love for Jesus and one another, that they began to devote themselves, okay, They began to be really committed to some things. What are these things? Let's read this verse together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We've been talking about these things as kind of categorical things that we can learn how to commit ourselves to. How we can commit ourselves to, we've been using this gear diagram throughout the series talking about how we can commit ourselves more to the word and grow in habits that allow us to be more devoted to the scripture, God's word to us. Secondly, how we can be devoted to the fellowship, 
how we can grow in our participation in church life and experience God's grace in that. These habits move us that direction. And then third, that category to prayer. So we've been talking through almost all of these now. We have just a few left. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about what's circled here on the screen, and that is stewardship. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that's everyone, all right? See my smile, my happy face, my winsome invite, right? I would encourage you this morning uh, to please consider taking notes because this morning I've got a lot on my heart to share from God's word, and I really don't know how it would be possible to really engage with it or retain it unless you listen over and over and over again this week, which you're welcome to do. But I would encourage you to think about uh, taking notes so that today you're not just hearing the word preach, but you're really seeking to understand it and then later to apply it and hopefully then disciple someone else even what God has taught you. So this morning we're talking about stewardship. So if you're taking notes, what I was going to say is if you could just title it stewardship, we're talking here about how to grow in church life. That's the section that we're in right now. So what are some things that you can do to learn to experience more of God in the life of the body. There are some unique things that God invites us to participate in, and in these things we can experience him and his grace. What is stewardship? I'm going to borrow a definition from Adele, not the singer, Adele Albert Calhoun, all right? She writes a book on uh, spiritual disciplines, and I love her definition Feel free to write it down. I know it may take you a moment, but we're going to be actually in this definition this week and next week. And I'll tell you why in just a second. We've decided to split stewardship into two sermons, this week and next week. So this definition will take us through both weeks. Don't get too intimidated. But I want you to go ahead and write it down so you can see this, this habit of stewardship in its fullness. The voluntary and generous offering of God's gifts of resources time, talents, and treasure for the benefit and the love of God and others, all right? So when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about something that we're doing of our own free will, and we're doing generously, like we're happy to do it. And what we're doing in this is we're actually giving something. We're offering something. We're offering what God has already given to us. We'll talk more through this in a minute. And we're offering these things like resources and our time and our talents, our giftings, spiritual giftings, for instance, and our treasure. We're talking here about money. For the benefit and the love of God, so it's directed toward God, the fulfillment of great com command, love God with all you are, and love others. And that's the second part here, the benefit of love of God and others. Love others as you love yourself. Y'all tracking? Okay. So two parts, like I said, we're going to look at one part this week and another part next week. So if you're thinking about um, the organization of, of how we're going to teach this, you can think about it kind of in two boxes. As you think about stewardship, you can think first, there's this conversation that we need to have around giving. Here specifically, we're talking about our resources and our treasure, all right? That's referring back to the definition. So talking about money. And then in the second part, we're talking about serving. We're talking specifically about how we can use our time and how we can use our talent, those things that God has given us, our skills, our abilities, the spiritual gifts he's bestowed upon us. And we'll have opportunity next week to talk more about that. But that means that this week, we're going to be talking about giving, all right? Now, I know um, as soon as I say, today we're going to be talking about money, this is the face that I see right now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, every time that a pastor gets up to talk about money, it in some ways makes us nervous. It can be a touchy subject. Um, I know that the state of our finances, very much a Western thing. Our status, our decisions are extremely personal and often extremely private. We feel in control of our money. We often want to stay in control of our money without others telling us how to use it. Near daily, we get faced with many opportunities to give to different causes. Sometimes we get skeptical with organizations and even churches. There has been a lot of abuse 
of money and even abuse of money that somebody has stood on stage like this and even said to give uh, for bigger purposes and then it turns out those things have not been honored. Those commitments have not been made. And those things break our heart but also make us in ways distressed. I know, I know, because I'm you in ways. I'm not you, but I've sat in a pew as soon as somebody starts talking about money, and I know it begins to happen, and you begin to go, oh, dang, why did I come today? Or, oh, no, like, here we go. They're going to be after X, Y, or Z. Or I'm not sure that I can trust. We start feeling squirmish, squeamish in ways. And I just want to tell you this morning that um, I... We, as a church, probably don't talk about the subject enough. I feel very awkward this morning. I hope this helps you in a way. I, I feel in ways awkward talking to you about this because of how squirmish I feel because I don't want you to think any of those things that aren't true. But I must tell you that before I want to be liked by you, I want to pastor you well. I want to talk to you about God and I want to talk to you about his word. And I want to lead you to know how God intends for us to experience him and his grace. And for me to, or for us as an elder team to just ignore this topic as we go through something like spiritual habits or to ignore this topic in general because we're concerned that if we talk about it, you're gonna get the wrong impression, that would just be pastoral malpractice. The reality is Jesus talks a ton about money. It's estimated about 15% um, in the scripture is related to money. Um, over 2,000 verses that are related to this topic. It is an important thing, and I hope, I'm just asking, okay? I can't make you do this, but I'm asking for a second that you trust today that my goal today is not to take your money. Our goal as a church is not to, to, to profit off of you. We, right now, in this moment, I want to lead you toward God, okay? Um, and I'm not, in this moment, trying to do anything other than just be faithful in the midst of this series to talk to you about a really important spiritual habit that all of us have opportunity to grow into. So would you just open yourself for, for this next bit and just allow God to minister to you, okay? You can choose at the end of this uh, of what you're going to do. And I pray that as God's word is proclaimed this morning, uh, that you will move toward him and the things that I'm going to be teaching you today. But at the end of the day, this is between you and God and not you and me or our church. Amen? So with that, I want to uh, get into this. So we're going to three-part outline this morning. First, we're going to talk about what is giving. Second, we're going to talk about why we should give. And third, we're going to talk about how we should give. Okay? So first, I want to talk to you about what is giving. Um, I want to just modify the definition uh, from stewardship to basically just allow it to reflect the specific aspects of it related to resources and money. So you don't have to rewrite this. You can just understand what we're talking about with giving. The voluntary and generous offering of God's gifts of resources and money for the benefit and the love of God and others. I derive this, the reason I wanted to use this definition is because I think it so faithfully reflects what the scripture teaches. If you've got your Bible open still, flip over a few chapters to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Because as Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he writes this extended section in chapters 8 and 9 about his desire for them to know God's heart for them, and that is to live generous and joyful lives with their resources and money. And we'll look at several parts of those chapters as we go through today. But here in 11 and 12, God says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, what he's saying is, I want you to be generous. God is saying to you this morning, you will do well. You will be enriched if you learn. Again, spiritual habits, what do they do? Position us to what? 
experience God's grace. You will be enriched in every way. You will experience grace in every way if you learn to embrace this habit, to be generous in every way. And what's happening is, what he's teaching you here, is when you learn to let loose of resources and money, it it, it flows out love and benefit, God and others. We see here, it's flowing out to thanksgivings to God and it's meeting the needs of the saints. Do you see? This is in essence the basics of what it looks like to understand giving. Now I wanna spend the bulk of the time this morning talking through section two and three, which is why should I give and how should I give? Under why should I give, um, we're gonna be talking a lot about God's desire for us to grow closer to him in heart, all right? The thing is, money is directly related to our hearts. Under why should I give, I think there's a slide for this. Oh, well, pay attention to what I say. Don't worry about what you see, all right? If you can write down this phrase, money is directly connected to our hearts, all right? Jesus teaches us that there is absolutely a fundamental connection between your spiritual life, in other words, your nearness to him, and then your attitudes and your actions related to money. There is a fundamental connection between your heart and your money. Don't believe me for my word for it. Matthew chapter six, you're welcome to turn there. Matthew chapter six, verse 21. It's also repeated in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says, y'all there? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He repeats this in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be will be also. One of the most fundamental understandings of this whole conversation around money is this, and it goes back to what I was trying to have you see from my heart at the beginning. God is not chasing your money. He is chasing your heart. God has plentiful resource. In fact, everything in the Lord, in the earth is the Lord's. We do not serve God as though he needed anything access for in him is life and breath and everything. God doesn't need your money. He's not chasing your money. Now he's going to ask you for your money. But what you have to understand here is that this is not ultimately about your money. It is about your heart. Jesus knows something about you that I think sometimes you and I struggle to know about ourselves, and that is our money is wrapped up in our heart, and our heart is wrapped up in our money, too much so. And Jesus, in the most helpful way, is trying to help us see this reality and and disentangle this mess. (laughs) He is chasing after our hearts. Now, here's the thing. Money represents value. Randy Alcorn talks about the treasure principle, right? And the treasure principle goes something like this. Money represents value. In other words, you exchange money for what you treasure. Money is a currency of exchange. It's just pieces of paper, cuts of metal, or now digital numbers (laughs) that we assign value to. And where our money goes, there our heart is. So, money represents value. So if you want to discover what you value, then follow your money, all right? Um, That's a hard reality for some of us to embrace, but I would encourage you to just kind of do a deep dive in your budget. And when you kind of look through the categorical ways that you spend, I mean, your money goes a lot to restaurants. You love eating. Your money goes a lot to entertainment. You know, you love personal satisfaction. Your money goes a lot to 
stores, online shops. I mean, I'm not saying any of this is wrong, but it does say something about your appearance or your desire to uh, have things or nice things, certain kinds of things. Your money's going a lot to bank accounts or money markets or stocks or savings accounts. Uh, you might have a propensity to really like the accumulation of money. Um, or you might have a propensity to use money as safety, all right? So what I'm trying to say is, this is not my word, so don't get mad at me, okay? Jesus is saying to you, look at where your money is and there's where your heart is. There is a connection between your treasure and your heart. There absolutely is. Now, why is this so important? Because in Matthew chapter 6, as he continues to teach about this, verse 24, we read this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, what he's saying here, when he uses this word serve, what he's talking about is worship. Where your heart is, there your worship is. And you cannot, this is about your heart. Where is your heart devoted? Where is your heart looking to for satisfaction? Where is your heart looking to for security? Where is your heart looking to for identity? Where is your heart looking to for purpose? What is controlling deep, deep down your heart? Who has your heart? And at the end of the day, what he's saying is, be really careful because money comes in and wants to set itself up as a competitor to God in your heart. Money wants to tell you, you can be happy with me. Money wants to tell me you can be safe with me. Money wants to tell you, oh, you can find purpose with me. Money wants to come in, sneak in, and fool you. And Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Your heart can only go to one place. And you can't, you cannot belong, be looking to, to God for those things and at the same time be looking to money for those things. Be really careful. Because at the end of the day, this is about your heart. So our hearts are meant to find satisfaction and value and purpose in God and not money. This is what I've been saying because this is what Jesus says. Your heart is meant for God. So all this conversation about money is a gift to you. Jesus is giving you an incredible gift. He's teaching you be careful because I'm after your heart. God is chasing your what? Your heart, not your money. This is about the heart. So why should I give? God is using giving to grow you closer to him. That is this whole thing about the spiritual habit. If, if you have never heard a proper discipleship around giving. That is what this morning I'm trying to give. It is a reorientation of how you think about giving. Giving is not an obligation. It is an opportunity. It's an invitation to actually put right your heart with God regularly to make sure that you're not entangled in something that your heart was never meant to be entangled with. God uses giving to grow us closer to him. See, giving growth is transformative growth. It happens from the inside out. It begins in the heart, growing and growing and growing, closer in satisfaction with God. But then as that happens, as God brings radical transformation in your heart, then what will happen is he will bring radical change into your life, including in the area of finances. So if you want to see someone who is growing in the Lord, you will always see someone whose budget and giving priorities are growing to be more Godward and Godlike. If your budget and your financial giving is, is, has not seen change, 
then you need to evaluate your own spiritual maturity. One of the marks of growing closer to God is growing closer to him in this area of money. It fuels, it fuels transformation in this area. So why should I give? I want to give you this morning four main reasons why you should give. All right? Four main reasons. And all of these answer the question how God uses giving to grow us. How does God use giving to grow us? These four ways. Write them down one at a time because I'm going to give you verses and notes as we go through. But there are four main ways that giving is a gift to you in your life to help to grow you in the Lord, to allow you to experience more of him and his grace. Number one is gratitude. Number two is humility. Number three is trust. And number four is lasting impact. Let's start with gratitude. What a gift giving is to grow our gratitude. And here's why. God allows giving to grow our amazement in the generosity of Jesus. That is one of the very first things that happens when you begin to let loose of what you have. Now, all of us in this room have different levels of income, different levels of giving. Some of us today have no giving, I mean, no income. Some of us have excessive income, more than you need is what I'm trying to say. But how amazing, no matter what our present level of income, all of us, when we go to give, whatever it is that we have, whether we're giving out of need or out of abundance, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity as we give to know more of God. And particularly the grace of God, the giving of God toward us. Here's why I say this. From 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Again, in the middle of this section of Paul's letter to the church of Corinth that I told you is especially devoted to conversation around generosity. But as he's talking to them about giving, and he's saying, I want you to give. And I even want you to give out of your need. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. In other words, if you're having trouble letting loose what you have, you have the opportunity to grow to know how God has let loose of all that he had to give you what you presently enjoy in Jesus Christ. See, every time that we give, there's an opportunity to think about how God has given to us. Jesus, though he had everything, and though he could have kept it all to himself, he had everything, and yet he literally gave everything he emptied his bank accounts. This is not like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos who have billions of dollars and they give a couple of million or a hundred million and it's like, oh, isn't that nice? But to them, it, they didn't really feel it. What a big gift, but it wasn't like everything. Can you imagine them emptying everything? Then we're talking about real giving. See. We have a God who had everything and yet emptied everything so that we who had nothing. See, his starting place was everything. Our starting place was nothing. How amazing is our God who had everything and gave it up to the point of nothing so that we who started at nothing could end up at the point of having everything. Friends, that is grace. That is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So every time God invites you to give, guess what he's inviting you to reflect on? How he has given everything for you. So when you give, 
you are reflecting on the heart of God for you. You're remembering the cross of Jesus Christ and him pouring himself out completely so that in your nothingness you might have his riches. What a great opportunity, do you agree? To grow closer to God than to practice something that literally points your attention to Jesus. And anytime there's something to overcome in our hearts, just look to the cross. Look to your Savior Jesus. Look to his grace. And cherish him more. It is an incredible opportunity to grow in gratitude. So why should you give? Because this is who God is and how he has given to you. And as he invites you to give, he's asking you, know me more. You got it? Number two. Second reason why you should give is so that you may grow in humility. So that you may grow in humility. Another way I could describe this It's humility, and you see the word here at the top, it's also obedience. It's just learning uh, with with my little girls um, all the time. Emma and Caroline will literally get into wrestling matches with me when I say, uh, could I please have, let's say, the remote control for the TV, right? No! You're like, seriously? It is my TV. Like, you didn't do anything for that TV. That's mine. Give it to me. If they begin the wrestling match, then I look at them and I say, Emma, who's the boss? And she'll look at me like, dang it. Because <laughs> she knows the right answer to the question. And she goes, daddy's the boss. All right. Okay, let loose. There's some, there's, that's, a, that's a humbling moment for a child as they're growing. But over and over again in our life, as we're growing in financial giving, there's a lot of humility that we need because we are children who have a good dad. And he is trying to grow us up. He's trying to mature us. See, like I'm doing in my girls, I'm trying to develop in them an awareness of stewardship, of what is theirs and what is not, and what it looks like to be grateful, to be humble, to even be obedient. God is doing that in our lives as he invites us not to hand over the remote control, but to hand over portions of our money. He's inviting us to learn humility, and he's inviting us to learn obedience. At our church, we say this, we are desirous to live with thankful dependence on God and stewardship of the resources that he has given to us. One of the things that we want to pastor you into is understanding that everything you have, so you get paid, let's say you get paid this week or next week or this month, or suddenly your mom or dad leaves you something or your grandparent gives you a gift. The first thing that needs to be happening in your heart is not, oh, my company paid me, but oh, God provided. We want you to have a heart that recognizes God I point your attention to the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. God says, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? I work hard for my money. Anybody ever heard that before from your parent? Or maybe you've said that even in your own life. This is hard-earned money. And sure, it's not neglecting, the, not negating the work that you put in this week and the, and, and the opportunity to receive provision. But he's saying, be careful lest you think this is all you. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And it is he that may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. In other words, the first thing that should happen in your heart when you receive income is go, God, thank you because all of this is from you. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 14 says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. This is the heart of one who is growing in God. This is the heart to go every time, let's, let's say you're actively giving to the church. Every time you give in your heart, you're going, who am I 
that I have the opportunity to give to you today. Oh, I am so thankful. Because all of this is from you. I mean, it's, it's literally like um, giving Caroline. I, I went to Cracker Barrel one time with her. We happen to love Cracker Barrel. Caroline and I especially, we're old souls at heart. We love the little peg game on the tables. Anybody with me? Okay, thank you, thank you. Rocking chairs and checkers, I'm, I'm all for it. One time for Father's Day, Caroline wanted to get me a gift. And she asked me for money to get her the gift. And I allowed her to have money. She went through the Cracker Barrel store, picked out a gift, brought it back to me with joy in her face and says, Dad, this is for you. My heart melted because from her heart, she wanted to give me that gift. But she should also recognized that that gift would have never even been possible if I hadn't given her that money. How silly would it be for her to pride herself in that because I had provided for the gift that she was giving. But what a joy offering that is for her to take what I gave to her and turn it around and give it back to me in that special way. That is the heart of giving. Do y'all understand? It's a humble heart, it's an obedient heart. And this comes as God, as we lean into God and we say, God, would you continue to mold my heart to find great satisfaction in you? And God, would you continue to mold my heart such that I see everything coming through you? That might be a good prayer for you to pray if you're struggling in this area, to just every time you see that deposit in your account or you receive that check and you put it in the bank for you to stop and just pray. God, thank you because I know that before this came to me from my friend or my family or my company or my loan, whatever it is, I know, God, that you are providing for me. Do you see? But it's also not only an opportunity to grow in recognition of what God has given to us, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow in dependence, okay? And that's that second part here. Um, Luke chapter 12 I'll just point your attention to the parable. I don't have time to teach it all. I'll move quickly through this. But there's a parable that speaks of a man who had a lot and yet was hoarding all of it. He didn't give it. He built storehouses for it, modern-day equivalent savings accounts, and he opens more accounts and puts more in stocks and more in bonds. You can just picture it, and on and on it goes. But in the end... As Jesus told the parable in verses 20, 21, he says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you in the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is that the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, be careful, be careful. Have a humble heart. Don't think that all of it is yours. It's not, it's God's. You are a steward of it. Be careful. Grow in gratitude, we said. Secondly, grow in what? Humility and obedience. Third, grow in trust. Grow in trust. See, as we give, not only do we have the opportunity to grow in understanding what, what, how he has given to us, how all that we have is from him, but it's an, also an opportunity for us to actually make sure our hearts are not looking to money for, some, for something that money cannot do. We've got a major, major, major temptation to sometimes feel, who in this room feels better when you have money in your bank account? Everybody please raise your hand, all right? Who feels worse when you have no money in your bank account? Yes. And I'm not trying to say that there's not practical need for money. We understand that. But what I am trying to say is we've got to be careful because money makes a great tool, but it makes a horrible master. Your heart is meant to trust God and not money. We say here at our church, we are confident in God's promises and provision to take care of all of our needs as we seek him. So what we are trying to say together as a body, those who love Jesus and are called to him, is look, we know that God is faithful. We're not looking to money to take care of us, we're looking to God to take care of us, and we are confident that he will because he said he will. 
So therefore, we can be free with our money. We're not allowing money to master us because we're not depending on money. We're depending on God. Matthew chapter 6, I point your attention to a series of scriptures, verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In other words, when you get into a place of anxiety around money, make your first stop be not, oh gosh, what online job can I pick up? Oh gosh, how could I ask somebody for help? Oh gosh, how could I, et cetera, et cetera. Make your first stop be go to God and say, God, I know you know me. I know you care for me. I know you promised to take care of me. God, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to trust in this moment that you will care for my needs. See, we've got to make a choice. Will we turn to God or return to money? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. This is not just for folks who are running out of money. This is for folks who have a lot of money. The scripture says, ask for the rich, 1 Timothy 6. In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What he's saying is, be careful. <laughs> you got more than you need, be careful because if you don't watch out, in your heart, you could start feeling real good and confident because you got XYZ in the bank or XYZ in the retirement account or XYZ in the stocks or the bonds, whatever you're doing. Be really careful. Don't set your hope on riches because they're uncertain, but make sure in your heart you're continuing to hope in God. So here's what happens when you give. Every time you give, you're reminding your own heart See, I can let loose of this because this is not my hope. I'm glad to give this because it helps me remember that God is my provider, not money. Every time you give, you're getting an opportunity to grow in trust. And this trust is so important. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, this trust, just learning contentment, letting loose of our resources, growing in a habit of giving is great because every time you give, you will actively remember, God, you are my helper. God, you are my confidence. God, you will not forsake me. You will take care of me. Fourth, not only does giving give us the opportunity to grow in gratitude, to grow in humility, obedience, to grow in trust, but fourth and finally, it allows us to grow in lasting impact. We say it here at our church, we are motivated to see our resources used to impact our world for the glory of God. In other words, what we're saying here is, man, literally the best thing that I get to do with my money is to see it connect to eternal things. Like it is the most fun and opportunistic thing that I get to do with my resources. I get to see my resources connect to helping people, to discipling others, to, to winning them to Christ and helping them grow in truth. I get to see like my resources help to meet needs, to advance the gospel, to plant churches, to fuel reaching unreached groups. Come on, that is cooler than the latest PlayStation. 
Do they still make PlayStation? I have no idea. Um, that is cooler. I'll, I'll never forget, I think always, about the story of Glenn Roseberry in our church, who owned several businesses in our city, who drove a Porsche, the kind that the, the, it, 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 it makes itself known when it pulls up, you know what I'm talking about? By the way it looks and the way it sounds. And God got a hold of his heart. And I watched Glenn with a smile on his face get a hold of a glimpse of a vision for the kingdom of God, got a passion for serving the poor here in this city, and eventually got a passion for serving the poor and the lost among the nations. And to this day, he lives in East Africa as one of our member missionaries. But over time, with a smile on his face, he started selling business after business, eventually sold that Porsche, traded it in for a car, an old, beat-up car that had a lot more room in the back. He said, you know why I want to sell my Porsche, Pastor? I said, why, Glenn? He said, I can't fit people in my car in the Porsche to pick them up and bring them to church. I got to get something to bring more people to church. And again and again, he got a glimpse of the opportunity to impact things that mattered. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Porsche or anything wrong with owning businesses, but what is, what's got to animate our heart, what's got to fuel our excitement is things for eternity, the things of God. Matthew 6, 19 to 20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Luke 12 says, Provide yourselves money bags that don't grow old. He's saying this in response to what he just said, sell your possessions, give to the needy because there's treasures in heaven that do not fail. He's appealing to you to see. You've got a choice to make. You want to put your money in things that are going to end up just kind of rotting, rusting, coming out of date, going out of style. In the end, you know, just kind of not mattering. Or do you want to put your things into things that have eternal significance? We see model of this all through the New Testament in Acts 4, how the people were selling land and they were distributing to people out of the proceeds. Acts 4, 34, 35. We see in Hebrews 10 how the church had compassion on those who were in prison and how they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property for they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. They were joyfully letting loose of their stuff even when it was taken from them and they are not giving it because they had eternity in mind. Philippians 4, Paul speaks of the church in Philippi saying, thank you, it was kind of you for sharing in my trouble. They're talking, he's talking about their giving. And you Philippians yourselves know that from the beginning of gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for me for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, he's saying, do you see the impact that your giving has made? Do you see the fruit that increases to your credit because you gave this kingdom stuff happen and to God be the glory? 2 Corinthians 9 verses 1 and 2. He says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. The example of men and women who love Jesus, who now we're in their shoes. This is our time. This is our generation. This is our moment to be the church, the hands and feet of Christ. The example before us is one of people who saw eternity and they saw what they did with their money connecting with real things that could happen for eternity. And they joyfully went after the opportunity to connect to that which was of lasting impact. Do you see why it's so important to give? Because these things need to grow in our hearts. Gratitude and humility and trust and lasting impact. I close this morning by sharing with you a simple list of five things that I want, five words that I want you to write down that reflect how we should give. Because as we close this morning, you've got to decide. I believe this morning in your heart 
I believe the Spirit of God because His Word is alive and His Spirit is alive. And I know, I know that the Spirit is impressing upon our hearts something. And we're probably this morning desirous to respond. Desirous to, to grow in closeness with God and experience of His grace by choosing this habit. But then the question is how? How do you do this? I want to make it real practical, okay? Um, five words how you can do it, right? One, joyfully. Two, regularly. Three, systematically. Four, proportionately. And five, generously. I could teach a whole series and a whole sermon on each one of these. So what I'm about to say, I'm going to say in a very quick amount of time. I'd love any of our elders here this morning, any of our finance team members that here this morning would absolutely love to help disciple you into how you can learn to give. So while I don't believe in what I'm about to say, you can fully embrace it all. Um, you need to, to start somewhere. And I think that probably one of these words, as I described them briefly, is going to prompt you to go, that's my starting place. That's definitely an area where I need to grow. And I just encourage you to take notes. Number one, joyfully, what we're talking about here is giving with joy and not reluctance. There should be no, uh, oh man. Second Corinthians 9 speaks that each one must give in their heart as they've decided to, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God desires in your heart for you to have joy as you give because you're looking to Jesus and all the things that we just talked about in the second section. Number two, we should give regularly. What I mean here is we have to learn, friends. We have to learn to give the first and not what's left. We have to learn to give the first and not what's left. Here at ICC, we affirm the tithe. The tithe literally means in scripture, a tenth. It's taught all throughout the scripture. It literally means a tenth of gross income that's given to the Lord through the local church. We as an elder team have put together a resource for you. If you'd like to learn more about this and why we believe this and what the scripture teaches about it, please let us know and we'll be glad to send it your way. But what we have to do over and over is recognize that the first part of what God gives to us is actually not ours, it's the Lord's. This is taught consistently through the scripture in passages like Leviticus 27:30 or Deuteronomy 14:28. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your produce and your wealth. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 23, 23, when he says, these you ought to have done when they were talking about the tithe without neglecting the others. It's essentially a way for us to ensure that we are giving regularly to the Lord. It is the floor and not the ceiling. It's like a training wheels on a bicycle. If you want to learn to ride a bike, the bike is giving and generosity. You start with training wheels and that's tithing. It's just choosing to let loose of the first percentage of what God gives us. The heart of this is Exodus 23, 19. It says, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. The heart of the tithe is essentially we give our first and our best to you, Lord, because we recognize that everything comes from you. We don't touch the tithe. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. It's just like in the garden God said, you can enjoy all the rest, but don't touch this part. This is mine, this tree. The tithe is that. It's this idea that, you know, this is holy unto the Lord. So we recognize that and we choose to offer that. It is a discipline, a regular thing in our life that allows us to, to just practice this joyful gift of generosity and to grow in grace and these things that we've already talked about. So we learn regular giving. Some of us think of giving right now as just giving what's left over. 
And that's not how it works with the Lord. He says, I, I, wanna tr- I want you to trust me with you. See, when Michelle and I get paid, and any of us who tithe get paid, what happens is we have a lot of bills waiting, but what it does in our heart is it causes us to go, God, it's what I said earlier to, to, for you to pray. God, we recognize this comes from you, so we are offering it back to you joyfully because we want to trust you and not this money for the needs that we have. So we give this first portion to you, Lord, and we trust you'll take care of the rest. It's the first thing we do, not the last thing we do. Test the Lord. If you want to know the tithe, test the Lord. Do it and watch his faithfulness and abundance to you. Again, if you want any help in this, talk to us. We'd love to walk you through it. Third, systematically. We give with discipline as well as spontaneity. We give with discipline as well as spontaneity. 1 Corinthians 16 says, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. We do not need to neglect the opportunity to give. So in some systematic ways, I know people in our church, for instance, who tithe to the Lord through the church, and then they have in their budget a giving fund. And they're just regularly building resource that's dedicated to the Lord for some special opportunity to give. This past week, I got a text message from someone, some people in our church. And I sat at my desk and just started crying because I couldn't believe what God had provided. We had some people in our church who said that they had been praying and they had been looking at the opportunity that our church has currently for the kingdom and seeing a growing deficit. And they said God had put it upon their heart through some resources that they had been systematically storing up to give a one-time gift to the church in the amount of $50,000. Our debt today, friends, is $50,000 less than it was last Sunday. Praise the Lord. Aren't you grateful? They said, I hope you don't think that we always have this kind of money. (laughs) And they went on to describe how over a long period of time, they had been systematically reserving a portion of their income. This is on top of time. For the sole purpose of waiting on the Lord to see how he would want them to give it. And then God spoke and they released it. That is what we're talking about with systematic tithing. Not, excuse me, systematic giving. And there's also spontaneous opportunity in it because it's, it's opportunity through systematic um, reserving of funds for the kingdom purpose that we have opportunity to do what the Bible describes as free will offerings. So just after we give what God has asked in the tithe, we just bring in out of the joy of our hearts excess because of who God is and what he's called us to do and the opportunities at hand. And that leads us to number four, which I told you was proportionately. Because the mindset here for us as believers in Christ is to give the maximum and not the minimum. That is the opportunity that we have always. Because the thing is that the true size of any financial gift is so hard for us to see with human eyes because we know that God is looking upon the heart. The true size of the gift It's not the quantity of the gift given, but the quality of the gift given. It's about the heart. Mark 12 records a story of the day that Jesus saw the woman who had almost nothing. He said all kinds of people were coming in, putting big things into the offering box, many rich people in large sums, but a poor widow came and put in two small coins, which make a penny. And he called to his disciples over and he said to them, truly, you see this poor widow? has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. 
Some of us friends feel like we can't give because all we have is 50 cents or a dollar. I don't have the $50,000. Oh, praise God, somebody else can help make up the deficit. Somebody else can give to the church because they have the ability. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about the amount that you give, it's about the heart. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you want to connect to these things that matter? Are you willing to obey me? Some of the folks at the Glen Mary have given more to our church than the giver I just described to you with the deficit gift. A dollar or two at a time in a simple envelope. This past week on Friday, I did a funeral right here from this platform of a precious saint who just went to be with the Lord in our church family. Throughout the pandemic, every single week without fail, while most of us were shuttered up in our homes, there was a skeleton crew doing live stream for you here from the church. She, every week, 11.30, 11.45, a car would roll up right out front. She had very little in terms of this world, but she brought an offering envelope and she would give it to the Lord every single week in the pandemic she never missed. God sees the heart. And it's not about the quantity given, it's about the quality given. The question is not, well, I'll put it this way, how little can I give so that I can keep the rest for myself? For us as Christians, the question is, how little can I keep so that I can give more away? There are many families in our church who give not 10%, that's of training wheels, who give 20, 25, 30%. I challenge to you would be, how much can you grow in giving? Allow that to motivate you. That is the heart of those who know and trust Jesus. Last but not least, generously. How do we give? We give in love and not obligation. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse three, We read that if I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned but I don't have love, then I have nothing. See, Romans 13 talks about how we are in a different law now. (laughs) Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I go back as I close to 2 Corinthians chapter eight because as Paul appeals to the church of Corinth, he says these words, We want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, is what he said. Then he says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as we had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is why we call it a spiritual habit. It is an act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What he's saying to them is prove your love is genuine by giving. You really love the Lord and you love other people, you love the work of the church, you love the spread of the gospel, you love the work of missions, prove it by your joyful giving to participate in it. And then he appeals once more, as I have already preached, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I close by just asking you a simple question. Where is your heart? Will you grow in God's grace? Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to grow in this area of need. I pray, God, for your grace. Lord, we have been speaking about these rhythms of your grace, and Lord, this is, this is a rhythm of your grace. 
that we might learn to grow in releasing what you have given to us in the area of resources and treasure, just releasing it back to you. Oh, Father, I pray for every person today. Lord, you know their heart. You know, God, that they need to learn this so that we can make sure that our hearts stay with you. Oh, Father, we ask your forgiveness. We repent of ways that our hearts are too caught up in money, that we're looking to money for something that really only you can give. And we just ask your mercy and your grace over us. Cleanse us, Lord, from that which is not of you. And free us so that we can be wholly devoted to you in heart. Help us, Lord, to be grateful for the grace that you've given out of your everything, how you became nothing so that in our nothingness you could become everything. Help us, Lord, to be humble and dependent upon you. Help us to obey you. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for the things that matter for all eternity. And help us, Lord, to take next steps. Whatever it is, Lord, that you've put on our heart, help us to take next steps to continue to trust and follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.